0: Welcome to Mosaic Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Mosaic Church Leeds based in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information on Mosaic Church, please visit mosaic-church.org.uk. Thank you for listening. Okay, if you've got a Bible uh, or a uh, a Bible app on your phone, feel free to get that out now, please. Uh, If you're new, uh, perhaps you're not a Christian and you are joining us... uh, perhaps for the first time you've come at a, a fantastic time uh, because over the last few weeks we've been tackling some of the biggest difficulties that people have with Christianity and so in the last few weeks we've looked at things like hell uh, suffering uh, is jesus the only way to god and you can catch up with uh, some of those talks online but our question this evening is does god care about my sex life it's really fascinating in Uh, society today, you can have some fairly um, radical people making radical choices about their lives and no one bats an eyelid. So people sometimes choose not to eat meat, sometimes people choose to go all eco, others stay alcohol free, Uh, some give up their cars, some uh, give up work and live an alternative lifestyle. And they all involve decisions to abstain or go without something um, because their ideals or their beliefs guide them or tell them to do so. What's fascinating, if you have a Christian who dares to say, we think you should abstain from sex until you are married, it always creates a stir. I don't know if you've ever had that reaction when you talk to your friends about this issue, but people usually get fairly defensive. Some people get angry. And some people just ridicule you. So take, for example, 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 3. Simple verse, it says this, it's God's will that you should be sanctified and that you should avoid sexual immorality. Now that word sexual immorality in the Greek is the word porneia. Porneia uh, appears about 26 times in the New Testament and every time it's a sort of a catch-all term To describe all sex that's outside of marriage between a man and a woman. So it includes things like women and women having sex, it includes men and men having sex, it includes unmarried men and women having sex, it includes uh, sex that involves children or sex that involves animals or anything else that you can think of. And over and over again God says to avoid sexual immorality, to run from it, to abstain from it, to flee from it, to not there, uh, not let there be a hint of pornea in your lives. It's sinful, it's not God's will, it's not God's best for you. And you know what, that message is deeply troubling to our friends. It's deeply troubling. You know, we know that there is an unspoken law that we cannot infringe on someone's right to have sex with someone, you know, between two consenting adults, what on earth could be wrong with that? So my question is, why does that grate so much? Are you guys tracking with me? No one's like nodding at all. But um, I'm hoping, you know, that is something that doesn't go down well in our society. Why is that? Well, I want to propose to you this evening that it's because sex is a god in our culture. I want you to imagine your life like a, a big circle. There it is. And everything about your life, everything that's important to you, your hopes and your dreams, all your stuff, what you're working at, what you're studying as, all that stuff goes within that circle. That's your life. Now imagine there's a throne in the middle of that circle. And on that throne sits the thing that guides your whole life. It's the thing you live for. It may be that you are sat on that throne. It might be that others, maybe your parents are sat on that throne. It might be that some of your stuff is sat on that throne. What I'm saying to you is that I believe in our culture, sex often sits on the throne of our lives. Sex isn't ever understood as a religion, but I want to propose to you that it is a religion. That's why people say things like, I'm gay, or I'm straight, or I'm bi, or we are swingers. Just like you would say, I'm a Christian, I'm a Muslim. Sex is the god of our culture that is worshipped, that is adored, that huge amounts of money is spent on. I don't know if you've ever seen the top of a Durex packet. Right at the top, the catchphrase for Durex is, love, sex. It's all worship. Worship, sex. It means the biggest cost that people pay when they become a Christian is often not having sex until they're married. And I've seen countless people come to intro, be convinced about Jesus, convinced about the church, but then when it comes to them getting the sex god off the throne of their lives, they stumble. It's too big a deal. It's why 40% of Christian students have experienced oral sex, mutual masturbation, and genital intercourse, 40% of all Christian students have experienced all those things. It's why many of you right now are struggling with this issue. It's why many marriages fail. It's why there's lots of gender confusion, where sexual abuse is common, and why men and women are trapped by pornography. So even though secular society says to us tonight, back off, this is not your territory to be speaking to us about, I want to confront the God of sex head on tonight. And so that means some of it will grate, some of it will feel uncomfortable, some of it you will want to deny that that it's applicable to your life. But I want you to see the the Christian God of the Bible really clearly tonight, and I want you to see that what he says about sex is important because he cares deeply about you. So the question tonight is, does God care about my sex life? The answer is yes. Two main reasons. Number one, first of all, we are made in God's image. In terms turn to the person next to you and say, we are made in God's image? Very good. Said with enthusiasm. We are more than just animals. Genesis 1, verse 26 and 27. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. Mankind is made in the image of God. Dogs, hamsters, parrots, chimps are not made in the image of God. The wonderful triune God, the three in one God, God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, in perfect community, serving and sacrificing to each other, decide to make men and women in their image. Think of it like this this is a picture of my wife and two sons. Some people say that Ben and Tom look a little bit like me or Pip. Now, I can vaguely see it, but people say it's quite a strong resemblance. My kids are made in the image of me and Pip. And mankind is the same. So the question is, for what purpose? Why did God do it like that? Why did God make us in his image? Well, God makes men and women to represent what he is like to the world. So in ancient times, an emperor, if he had conquered some land, he would, on the border of the land, place statues of himself And so when anyone entered or crossed the border into his land and saw the statue, saw the image, they knew it was representing the man who was in charge. You were suddenly stepping into his kingdom. And God is doing the same as he uh, creates the earth and sets us on it. He's saying, I want you to go and rule and reign. I want you to represent me. And I want you to get the connection then that the purpose of sex is connected to this higher purpose of us reflecting the Trinity. You see, in the Trinity there is faithfulness, there is unity, there is love, there is surrender. Therefore, in marriage and sex, there should also be faithfulness and unity and love and surrender. And you cannot divorce sex from that purpose. And if you do, it all goes wrong. That's why casual sex does not work. Sex outside of marriage, lust, masturbation, they're all distortions of the original purpose. In the Trinity, the three are one. The three are unified. In marriage, the two become one. Genesis 2, 24. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one. Flesh. It means in their marriage and in their sex life there is intimacy. There is purpose. There is love. Misusing sex or sex without marriage is a distortion of what God wanted. Not just for the gift of sex, but for mankind itself, for the purpose of mankind. So, number one, we are made in God's image. But number two, this may surprise you, but He wants us. To flourish. This sounds crazy because at the start it sounded like I was saying that God was restricting your choice when it comes to who you sleep with. And in our culture, the freedom to choose is related to our happiness. So the more free we are to do what our heart tells us to do, the more we think we'll be happy. And so, how on earth do we have a God who seems to restrict something also be the God who wants us to flourish? How do those things work together? Well, in the ancient world, flourishing is not just about the freedom to choose, but rather the ability to become the person you were meant to be, or, if you like, to reach the higher purpose that you were made for. And so the Bible writers would say that there are things in your life that needs to perhaps be taken away, or removed, or invested in you for you to become all that God created you to be. Otherwise, if you don't let that process happen, you miss out on the very purpose you're around. Perhaps a a good way to imagine it is um, through thinking of this. This is the only nude for tonight, you'll be pleased to hear. uh, And this is Michelangelo's David. And it's a helpful way of imagining the biblical concept of flourishing. The sculpture is freed from the block of marble that it's originally standing in. The block just sat there, but the higher purpose has been reached through hard work. David is more free than the block of marble. So yes, God does place restrictions. God does take things away. And ultimately, he does that to set us free and help us flourish and have the life and life to the full that Jesus promises in John 10, 10. So listen, put it another way. Are you more free to be a train running on tracks or a train running loose in a field? You know, the train in the field perhaps seems free, but it's highly dangerous. Yet the tracks provide constraints. But it means the train gets to its destination safely. And God does the same for all of life, including sex. He invented sex. He made it pleasurable. The first commandment that he gives mankind is to go and have sex. As the maker of sex, he knows how best it should be used. I mean, fantastic verses in Proverbs 5. The writer catches the idea well. May your fountain be blessed and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. A loving doe, a graceful deer. May her breasts satisfy you always. May you ever be captivated by her love. The Bible actually talks about breasts. Can you believe it? And more than that, it says that husbands, you're to enjoy your wife's breasts. They're meant to satisfy you. You're meant to enjoy them. It is a great memory verse, men, if you're married. God wants you to flourish in your sex life. But it's through, first of all, relationship with Jesus, but it's also through placing this beautiful, intimate thing called sex into the protected, boundaried relationship called marriage. And without those tracks, the purpose of sex gets lost, it gets distorted, it gets ruined, and it gets abused. So, does God care about sex? He does. And it's because you are made in his image, and it's because he wants to bring you great joy, life. How do we get it? How do we restore the gift of sex? How do we make the most of this gift when we know the problem goes very deep in our hearts? See, the sex god is on the throne for many people. How do we go deeper, not just give superficial answers or superficial advice that many of you have probably tried and failed with? How do we make it happen? The Bible is pretty clear with the scale of the problem. It says that God created us. Well, he created one man and he created one woman to have one covenant or one promise with each other, one lifetime together, to enjoy marital relations as one flesh. The Bible says at the end of Genesis 2, they were naked and without shame. It was perfect. But in Genesis 3, we find mankind sins. He places himself on the throne instead of God. And as we go through Genesis, we find that sex climbs onto the throne as well. And sexual sin just abounds. There's incest. There's the practice of homosexuality. There's adultery. There's polygamy. There's all forms of lust in its various sinful acts. And it continues... Throughout human history until today. And so, how? How do we deal with the heart that is corrupt and uses this gift, this precious gift, for our own purposes? How do we deal? Do? Well, I want to try, if I've got time, to give you five things. Number one, first thing I want you to do is to think about the consequences of sexual sin. See, the Bible says that when we have sex, we join. Not just physically, but we also join mentally and spiritually. Remember, Genesis describes uh, sex as two people becoming one flesh. One flesh. So a husband and wife, as they make love, they are uniting not just bodily, but also in every dimension. It's incredibly intimate, incredibly special, and that is a total countercultural understanding of the gift. Because in our culture, people sleep together and then get to know each other. Alright, that's the way it works. But the Bible says, no, it's about us developing a loving relationship, us committing lifelong in marriage, and then in marriage, we unite in this most intimate of places. But listen, if you sleep around, if you abuse this gift, then you are joining yourself this deeply with people that you are not actually committed to. You're abusing the gift. You're ruining the gift. And what's more, you're doing a lot of damage. Let me um, try and describe it like this. Okay, I've got some gaffer tape here. Sorry. This gaffer tape very sticky. And uh, if I tell this gaffer tape to not stick, and I try with all my heart to say, gaffer tape, not stick, and I stick it to someone, it's going to stick. Let's try it again. Don't stick. Sticks. Don't stick. Do not stick. Still sticking. Do not stick. (laughs) Now what's interesting is that will come a moment where you really need it to stick. You need it to stick. And when that time comes, it's lost its stickiness. It's lost, your sexuality has lost the very thing it was made for. The first time you use it, it's going to stick to whoever it touches. Sex cannot help sticking because that's what it's there for. So if you rip yourself loose and try and stick to someone else, there is always going to be damage something is going to tear. And not only that, when you get loose, your sexuality won't be as sticky as it was before, and eventually it will not stick at all. And that's why some of you and some of your friends find that their sexual partners feel like strangers. Sometimes they don't know their name. They don't feel anything anymore. The, the act of having sex has, has lost all its capacity for intimacy. And that hurts, that damages. There are consequences. Secondly, um, you need to admit that the problem goes deep. So many have worshipped sex for so long that I believe many of us in this room are actually addicted to it. Addicted to porn, addicted to lust, addicted to sex. Now you may think, as you're sat there, there's no way I'm addicted to this. But let me just give you some things that will perhaps help you tell. Because first of all, addiction begins with tolerance. That's the first step. You know you're wrong in doing that thing, but you accept it, you're okay with it, you learn to live with it, and you excuse yourself. But secondly, then there are then some withdrawal symptoms. So if you don't satisfy your depraved desires, then physically and mentally you begin to crave them, you miss them, you long for them, you start to strategize as to how you'll get those needs met. You'll get depressed, you'll get frustrated. Which leads to a third step, and that's self-deception. You find a way to make it okay. It's not that it is okay, you're just trying to deceive yourself. And listen, if you're a Christian, you will resort to some bizarre theological reasoning to make what you're doing seem okay. Whether it is what you're doing with another person, or what you're doing on your own. But it's self-deception. And some of you, even as I speak now, are saying, that's not me. Don't excuse yourself. Number four, it leads to a loss of willpower. You can't stop. You try to stop. Maybe you have victory for a little while, but you eventually go back to that place. It has overcome you. You work yourself up to feel really bad. And in that place, you vow before God never to do it again. And then it happens again. And some of you have lost so many battles. You've made so many promises and not been able to come through on them. It's because sex is ruling over you as a false god. Then number five, it leads to a distortion of attention. Now you're thinking about it all the time. You're planning your world around it. You're longing for it all the time. And you become more frequent in your satisfying of that illicit desire. It becomes more intense. And for some, it means that you need more to get the same hit from it. So if your thing is pornography, then you will look for more intense pornography to more depraved pornography. And all of a sudden, it's not just an occasional thing, it's a regular thing and a frequent thing. It starts to get more of your money, it starts to get more of your time, It starts to get more of your energy. And it's very hard to focus on anything else. And perspective is lost. That is because sin always leads to death. And you can't keep sin under control. It just keeps growing and growing. Growing and growing and overtaking everything else in your life. And I tell you, some of you know these symptoms in your life. You just need to be honest. I'm addicted to this stuff. And the real issue, the heart issue behind that stuff is who or what is your God? Who is sat on the throne? That's the answer that is revealed in your sexual decision making. If you choose sex, you are saying, I worship sex, not God. If you're choosing adultery or pornography or homosexuality or bisexuality or whatever it is, you are saying, I deny the first commandment, there is not one God. And I deny the second commandment, I refuse to live to worship that God. Instead, I've chosen the body, its pleasures, their body, their pleasures, as my God. And I live to worship sex, I live to worship the body, I live to worship nudity, I live to worship pleasure. And it's all idolatry. Listen guys, for some of you tonight, you just need to acknowledge the problem goes really deep. Really good. Thirdly, you need to find forgiveness in Christ. You know, God hates sin. God hates sexual sin. We're told in 1 Corinthians 6, Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, as that were porneia, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swinders will inherit the kingdom of God. God says that an unrepentant, ongoing, habitual lifestyle of sexual sin is such a serious matter to him that when you die, you will face his judgment and the judgment will, to, will be to send you away from his presence forever. And that place is called hell. Unless you repent and turn to Jesus. And listen, when you repent and turn to Jesus, when you say no to sex being on the throne and you put God on the throne, forgiveness always comes. Honour is always restored. It's because 1 Corinthians 6 continues, the next verse, and it says this, and this is what you were. But you were washed you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. That's why the cross is so central for us as Christians. Jesus takes all your sin, all your sexual sin, your shame, your lust, all your addiction, and he takes it all on himself at the cross and he receives the punishment that we are due for it. And as we believe in him, our whole lives are washed, our whole lives are cleansed, our whole lives are forgiven, put right. And some of you tonight need to know the forgiveness of God and the experience of God restoring you and restoring your sex life. You know, my experience is guilt kills intimacy with God and there's nothing like sexual sin to cause Christians to feel guilty. And many of you, tonight, that's the overwhelming feeling. It's not, it's not being sorry for your sin, you just feel guilty because you know you're struggling. The way through is repentance, and as you repent, you receive the forgiveness of God. You know, one author I read tells a story of going to a Christian meeting, it was sort of about this sort of size, and he was speaking about sex. He was speaking about the dangers of sleeping around, and he was warning against it. And right at the start of his talk, he held up a pure, perfect rose, and he smelled the rose, and it was a beautiful thing. And he said, I'd like you to all to experience how wonderful this rose is. And so he passed it out, and the thing made its way round. And near the end of his talk, he said, where, where, where's the rose? Who's got the rose? And someone at the back said, I've got the rose. And he said, bring it down. And they brought it down. And they brought the rose down. It had been through everyone's hands. And at this point, the petals were falling off. The whole thing was bent and limp. And he holds this rose up after talking about the dangers of sleeping around, and he he said, look at this rose. Damaged and broken. Who would want a rose like this? And the author said, as he sat at the back and listened to this guy speak, inside, screaming out on the insides, was Jesus would want that rose. Jesus would want that rose. Jesus comes to forgive you as you put your hope in him. Romans 5 is a wonderful verse, verse 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, sexual sinners, Christ died for us. Your sexual sin is not a deal breaker. It's not the thing that keeps you from God forever. There is always hope. At the cross, God washes away your sin. He chooses to forget it. And so that process of conviction, repentance, receiving forgiveness, I tell you, it only goes one way from there, which is worship, which is loving him, giving everything back to him because you have been loved so unconditionally. You know, I have never met anyone that has changed or broken through on sexual sin just by trying really hard. The key for every single person I know that is walking in purity is that they have had a glimpse of who God really is in his holiness, in his grace, and in his love. And that is the prize for them now. And for some of you, that is the way through. But It will come through receiving forgiveness. Fourthly, believe you have the power to change. The theological word is regeneration. Regeneration is that God takes out our whole old heart, our old self, apart from Christ and gives us a new heart and new self in Christ. Ephesians 4.22, you were taught, with regard to your former way of life to put off the old self, which is corrupted by deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. That means a huge part of living, the Christian life, is living in the power of a new regenerated self. You are still you, but God has changed your capacity for holiness and your desire for Christ-likeness. Jonathan Edwards was a great theologian. He said that to overcome sin, we must take a desire and pl- replace it with a stronger desire. The issue is not to kill the passion, but to be passionate about the right things, to be passionate about the things of God. The regenerated heart has a great capacity for holiness and desiring the right things. Put it another way, how do you take a toy from a child? You give them a better toy. You do not stifle their desire for play. play. You just give them something better to play with. And for some of you here, you must find a better lover. You must find a better comforter. You must find a better pleasure. Some of you have heard about your desires for intimacy that you must repress it or repress, repress, repress. What I'm saying to you is you must be thinking replace, replace, replace. There's an exchange that needs to take place. And God is all those things and more. You must live in the power of your regenerated heart. And lastly, really quickly, flee from sin. 1 Corinthians 6, 18 to 20, flee from sexual immorality. I just want to very quickly say something about this. Some of you, I believe, are just not being radical enough when it comes to dealing with sexual sin. What God says to you is flee from it. Not think that you're mature enough to handle it, not to think or fool yourself that you can watch that thing or you can go to that place or you can spend time with that person. I'll be strong. I'll be pure. I'll get it right. But as the Bible says, it doesn't expect you to have a hint of sexual immorality. Therefore, you must flee. And I tell you, the first time I heard this, uh, God was just doing a a, a wonderful thing in me of stirring up purity that he's still doing today. But I remember very clearly what came to mind for me where I needed to flee was a relationship with a girl who lived in another city, who I would phone nearly every night. We weren't going out. We were sort of like brother and sister in Christ. And I felt that I could talk to her. She could talk to me. We both understood where we sort of stood. But the issue was I was getting all my needs for intimacy met in this girl without any commitment, without any love. And she was doing the same to me. So that night I go a call and it was a horrible, horrible conversation. It's like, we have got to finish. I was fleeing from sin. And some of you, you've got to be that radical. For some of you it's to do with what you're doing in your bedroom. For others of you, it's certain places you go to in your mind, in your fantasies. For some of you, it's certain films. For some of you, it's flirting and the way you are with the opposite sex. And the word I want you to hear tonight is flee from it. Do not believe that you are strong enough. You know, the instruction is there for a reason. Flee from sexual immorality. For some of you, it might be through accountability that you need to speak a bit more honestly. For some of you, you might need counselling. And especially if you just sense that I'm I'm in up to my neck. I'm addicted to this stuff. Then it might be that you need some specialist help and we'd like to help you with that. And you perhaps just need to speak to one of the leaders here. For some of you that are married, it might be you just need to spend some time with an older couple and get them to help you. But the prayer for you guys is that um, you reflect to your world how good God is through the way you handle the gift of sex. And I guess what I want to do tonight as we sort of wrap things up and we're going to pray and worship, it might be that you just need to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you where you need to repent. And as you repent, as you turn from it, then my expectation is grace and mercy and forgiveness will flood this room. And for me, I, you cannot get enough of that. It leads to worship, it leads to love. And so, do, would you stand with me? We're going to invite the band back and let me pray. and you just bow your heads with me. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for creating us in your image. Thank you for wanting us to flourish. And thank you for dealing with sin at the cross. And we want to be honest tonight. We want to admit our weaknesses. Lord, we want to admit the problem goes very deep. And we would like to repent. Lord, I pray for some of us we would see just the the, the state of our sinful hearts. I pray that for some of you it would be an awful feeling that forces you to see a gracious and loving God who comes and saves you from his judgment. And as you repent, I pray that as you confess your sin, you would know that he is faithful and just, and forgives your sin and cleanses you from all unrighteousness. So Father, in this place tonight, I pray that there would be forgiveness. And there will be a second chance. There will be grace and there will be mercy. And there will be worship. Draw our hearts. Change our desires. And help us live in the good of what you've called us to do. Lord Jesus, I pray for courage for some tonight, that they would flee from sin. Help us to call on the name of Jesus tonight.